before we go any further. There are so many uh, very good ministries here at Grace, uh, and, uh, but there are also some gaps and some holes that need to be filled as far as uh, leading or participating in some of the ministries. Uh, uh, one, one evening after a, a board meeting, I was kind of feeling a little overwhelmed at all the various needs and sitting in the, in the kitchen uh, staring at the ceiling or something, and Kathy came in and she said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, there's a good meeting, there's nothing wrong, and why are you staring at the wall? And I said, well, <laughs> just got a lot of needs, a lot of ministries to fill, and she thought for a moment, she said, we should pray. And uh, Jesus said that, you know, uh, he said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, problem back then too. And then he said, though, he said, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth workers into the harvest. So I'm just going to pray now for uh, uh, a need that we have. Uh, we need a, a, a coordinator for our small group ministries. We have uh, small group leaders, and we need some more leaders. Uh, but then we need a coordinator to just coordinate and communicate with the leaders and encourage them and touch base. Rob Gamble is uh, and has been our small group coordinator, but he's chair of the board now and needs to hand that duty off. If you want to learn more about what's involved in small group coordinator, talk to Rob or myself and uh, we can help you out there and you can pray and decide if, if you would like to uh, take on that uh, area of ministry. Uh, also uh, this week there's a team leaders meeting. Becky Goodwin and I will be leading that uh, just to gather the leaders of our various teams together before the fall starts to go over some things and be encouraged, so we'll pray for that as well. Father, we count it important to pray together and to, and to ask you publicly in the name of Jesus uh, for our needs. You said we should do that. And so just very simply, I pray to you this morning that you would uh, bring forth uh, a, a person to uh, coordinate our small group. And we pray you would give us more small group leaders. And we pray for your help uh, at our team leaders meeting this week later on, just that there would be unity and encouragement and, and a readiness to serve you. We commit these needs to you in the presence of the congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we began uh, part one of a little series called Why So Hard? And uh, we'll finish it, up with, uh, uh, finish it up this morning, Why So Hard, part two. And uh, we suggested one reason last week about why is it so hard. Uh, just to explain, uh, I'm, I'm focusing in particular on uh, perhaps an area or an issue in your life, your life, my life, that is uh, kind of deep-rooted, kind of hard to get rid of. It could be a sin. Uh, it could be a, a character flaw that, that just, just you can't shake it off. You can't get rid of it. And you wonder, you're, you're, you know it should be gone. You know it's God's will that that shouldn't be there. And you're trying and struggling and you ask yourself, why so hard? I mean, Lord, don't you want to get rid of this? What are you doing? Why? I, I, I prayed should be gone. And it's not. And uh, perhaps months or years have gone by. And uh, so I just thought we should tackle that uh, because that's real life. And uh, it's part of our discipleship, part of our growth, part of the journey. Uh, we become a Christian by recognizing that Jesus Christ died on the cross, not just for the sins of the world, but for my sin. And you recognize, yes, it was for your sin. And we embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. And it's not all over there. That's just beginning. Now we walk with him. We follow him. 
uh, on a journey of, of discipleship and spiritual formation. But sometimes it's kind of hard. Uh, and so it's good to explore that and understand what God is, is doing. And, uh, and so uh, <coughs> last week we said that maybe the issue that I'm so focused on, it's important, but perhaps God who knows me better than I know myself sees another deeper, actually bigger issue that I'm not aware of. And so he's holding off on this one in order to get at this one. It could be uh, I, I'm, I'm a very undisciplined person or, or, or I'm, a, I'm a critical person or something like that. And, but I'm not aware of how proud I am. And he's after that because that'll do a lot more damage to me than, than this, this other issue. So sometimes God is working at a deeper level uh, at something in my life and I need to be a listener to see what he's saying to me and what he's doing. So that was the first point last week. Got three more this morning, but they'll go a little more quickly. Uh, and uh, if you could turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 uh, in your Bibles, if you have one, we'll have it coming up on screen here as well. Thank you to Allison, who's running our PowerPoint this morning. Appreciate that help. And uh, the, the next reason why things might be so hard and are taking so long in my life is because God is testing me. Let's read some from Deuteronomy 8. I'm going to read five verses, but just verse 2 will appear on the screen, so you can watch for it as I get there. The Israelites were on a journey through the wilderness, uh, and uh, God is recounting here how he was working in the nation at that time through Moses. He says, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and may possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Here's verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. That's interesting, isn't it? Verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Remember Jesus quoting that verse. Verse 4, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So God is testing us and disciplining us in some way or another. And sometimes it's through waiting and, and through the struggle. Now, if you ever hear me say, why does God have to test me? I mean, why didn't he just save me and take me to heaven and all this messing around with testing? I didn't ask for that. Then I would like you to respond to me and say, John, do you think God is just an Uber driver or a skip the dishes guy that delivers wisdom to your front door? and delivers maturity on demand, and delivers humility to your life and waits around for you that you might tip him? That is not how God works. God will test us because he knows what he needs to do in our life. And I must stop treating him like an errand boy to deliver me what I want. <coughs> I might say, God, are you playing games with me? And I want you to ask me, John, are you playing games with God? Let's get serious here. <coughs> Is this okay? This mic is banging a lot, but I'll try to keep my face up as we go along. <coughs> the Deuteronomy verse says that God was testing Israel to know what was in their heart as to whether they would obey his commands or not. 
And then at the end of that passage that I read, he said, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. He says God disciplines us. This is not necessarily corrective discipline or punishing discipline. This is a training discipline. Um, <coughs> the Hebrew word for discipline here is the word Yasar, Y-A-S-A-R, and it means to chasten, admonish, discipline, or instruct. The word uh, has a strengthening and training aspect to it that is very important. <coughs> and uh, we must understand that, that God is working in that way in our life. You know, if we weren't sinful, selfish, proud, and fallen, we wouldn't need God's discipline, would we? But we need God's yasar in our lives. So as I deal with persistent sin in my life or deeply rooted character flaws, uh, <coughs> I, uh, I must not deny it. Or I might try to deal with it a couple of times and not meet with success and then just kind of give up. Or, and this is what God wants through the testing, Will I double down? Will I get serious and go to war with this sin in my life? Am I just trying to look good and feel good? Or do I really want to please God, my Father in heaven? I thought of us here in Grace Community Church. We've had a, a bit of a long struggle in the leadership area just to get stable leadership in leading us forward. I think we all know that. Why so hard? It's been hard. What's God doing? Is he testing us? Does he have his eye on something else in our midst that we need to be aware of? I don't know. I'm just asking, but I think it's a good question to ask. It's good to be tested and to be chastened and to be trained and to be instructed by our Heavenly Father. It's a very good thing in our life and even collectively together as a church. So God might be testing us. You know, I remembered the, uh, oh, something I learned in science class, I guess, as a kid about uh, monarch butterflies. Any butterfly, I guess, uh, we, you know, they go through the, the whole process. There's the, they're in the chrysalis for a, a period of time. And, when it's, and they're developing in there. And when it's time to emerge from the chrysalis, uh, if you or I were watching, we would see that. We would see it, it's sort of breaking apart. And then a part of a wing pops out and then a leg. And, and, the, and the monarch butterfly is struggling to come out. Uh, struggling and struggling, it seems hard, and if you or I being such kind people, we might run to get a knife just to cut some of the fibers of the chrysalis, just to give the monarch butterfly a hand, want to help him get out there and get flying. If we did that, that butterfly would never fly properly, because it needs to struggle. It needs to wrestle, because in the struggle, the blood is being forced out into its wings and into the, into the capillaries, and, and its muscles are being flexed and stretched and developed in the struggle so that it can fly as it does so. Butter monarchs, as we know, can fly from here to Mexico. They're amazing flyers, but the struggle is an important part of the process. And so why so hard? Sometimes that testing and that struggling is part of the process that God is using in my life or in our collective life as a church. The second reason this morning why it might be so hard is that God needs to teach us compassion and mercy and empathy. 
We'll read a passage from Deuteronomy 24. This is more on the travels of Israel, the nation, through the wilderness. And I'm starting in verse 17, Deuteronomy 24, 17. Because as Israel, the nation, left Egypt, where they were slaves, and they were traveling through the wilderness, they would encounter all kinds of people out there in the wilderness, people that were not Jewish, and how would they treat them? Would they, would they push them out of the way? Would they say, we're on a mission, get out of our way? Would they be kind or careful or what the, to these alien people? So this is what Moses, this is what God through Moses said to um, his people. Do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. Repeat, that is why I command you to do this. Because you once, as I just read, were slaves in Egypt. You know that hard life. You know what it's like to be an alien. You know what it's like to be oppressed. So be careful how you treat people who are now in those shoes. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember, the second time he says this, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why... I command you to do this. So those are very important verses uh, <clears throat> for, for the Israelites and for us in life. We are never to forget what we've been through, but sometimes we need to go through what we've been through in order to really experience it. Uh, and uh, sometimes the problem with a quick victory, you know, I got a sin in my life. I pray, it's gone. Whew, boy, this Christian life is easy. You know, and uh, sometimes the problem with a quick victory is uh, <coughs> we can become judgmental toward others who don't see the same quick victory. And uh, I could see someone else who's struggling with an issue that I struggled with, and I overcame it very easily, and I might say something like this, I wonder what's wrong with that guy. I mean, I overcame that, what's wrong with them? Must be something really wrong with them, you know, and uh, they should be able to do it too. I did it. When we have not struggled and tested our, and, 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 and have not struggled and been tested and cried our fair share of bitter tears sometimes, we can end up lacking empathy and compassion in our hearts toward others. Paul writes about the weaker brother. Remember Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, other places, the weaker brother. There are weaker brothers and sisters amongst us. Maybe you're not one of them on this issue, but maybe on another issue you will be. We are to have regard for the weaker brother and help them and come to their aid. My mother, Mary, uh, passed away in 2003, but she was a practical, no-nonsense, don't try to pull the wool over my eyes kind of person. And uh, we enjoyed that as a kid, well, except when she was after us. But um, 
But uh, we would listen to her talk about people and situations. I remember once as a teenager, I actually listened to her on this occasion, but I remember once hearing her, we were talking about someone in some situation, and it was about a, <coughs> a girl who had become pregnant, who wasn't married, pregnant out of wedlock. And uh, my sister said, boy, she's in for a hard life. And I always remember my mother saying, well, she made her bed, she's got a lie in it. I never forgot that, because even as a teenager, I thought, ouch, there's not much compassion in that comment. <clears throat> my mom had a lot of wisdom, but on that moment, I think she could have used a little more compassion. But uh, sometimes when you haven't been through something, you lack the empathy that we need for that other person who's going through it. In Matthew 9, 10 to 13, I'll just read you this passage. <coughs> this is uh, when Jesus is uh, having supper with the tax gatherers in Matthew's house. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, Jesus overheard them. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So on that occasion, as Jesus heard the Pharisees criticizing that he was eating with the tax collectors and looking down on the tax collectors and the sinners, Jesus was in essence saying, you Pharisees are useless. You just stand there doing nothing, criticizing everything and everybody you see. I want you guys to go and learn compassion. And you don't learn mercy and compassion without going. You don't learn it in a book. You learn it by going through the test and the trial and the hard time, and you learn what it's like to struggle. And as I said earlier, cry bitter tears sometimes. And so his strong words to the Pharisees were, go and learn mercy. Sacrifices, anybody can do their ritual sacrifices and come to the temple, make your sacrifices, and your heart can be as black as night. I want you to learn compassion in your life. And so we need to learn compassion also. And sometimes it's only really learned through the struggle. Have you struggled with debt? With lust? Have you struggled with anger? struggled and struggled and struggled. Have you struggled with senseless, foolish materialism? I hope God has helped you make progress in your struggle. And if he has, don't be surprised if he brings a fellow struggler across your path someday soon who's struggling perhaps with the same issue that you have made some progress in, praise God. And uh, God has a job for you if that person comes across your path. He wants you to approach them with an understanding heart, understanding what it's like, and to offer a helping hand, not judgment or criticism. That's why sometimes it's so hard. To review, why so hard? God's working on something deeper in your life, number one. Secondly, he's testing and training us through the trial. And thirdly, he might be teaching us compassion and empathy. Fourthly, God might be planning to meet you at the end of your rope to show you your weakness 
and thus how much you need him. <coughs> Let's read 2 Corinthians 12, 9, or 7 to 10. Should be coming up on the screen there. 2 Corinthians 12, famous passage where Paul discovers the value of weakness. Because Paul had a what he called a thorn in the flesh. He had a difficulty that just wouldn't go away. It wasn't necessarily a sin. It was just a difficulty. He says in verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, says Paul, about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, this is the strangest thing, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's only true in Christ, but it is true. One of our biggest problems in the Christian life is our strength. Your gifts, your talents, your strengths. Um, <clears throat> they can get in the way. Thank God for our strengths. You say, well, what's the, what's, what's the problem? I've used my strengths and, and God gave them to me. What are you saying it's a problem for? <clears throat> uh, it's a problem if we rely on them, which we so easily do, instead of relying on God. And sometimes he just has to teach us to rely on him. Because when we do, then we are able to give him glory in the end. <clears throat> when I rely on my own strengths and accomplish significant things in my own power, I get the glory. I'll, 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 I'll foolishly think I did it and claim the glory, and this is, this is not good. <clears throat> We need to rely on God's strength. We should by all means use the gifts and the strengths that God has given us. But with these two things in mind, number one, use them for his purposes and the accomplishment of his will, not my own. And secondly, never forget where your strengths came from. It's okay to have them. It's okay to use them. Just never forget who gave them to you in the first place. Abraham and Sarah, back in the Old Testament, <coughs> a couple, they, they were getting older. They were unable to have a child. They so badly wanted to have a child. God talked with them and said, you're going to have a son. They said, oh, goody. 25 years later, they were still waiting. <laughs> and that must have been so difficult. God was taking them to the end. He was taking them to a place where there was no hope. They had no hope in themselves physically as humans that they could ever conceive and have a child. They were old, and all they could tell was, was they were barren as a couple, and, uh, and they'd reached the, the, the end of, of, their, of their rope. And then all of a sudden we read these verses in Romans talking about Abraham and Sarah. It says, against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Another translation says, in hope against hope. That means I don't have any hope. I'm still hoping anyhow. Something like that. Abraham believed. 
You ever heard the saying, it's, it's around these days, it's th the saying is, you'll never know the meaning of the phrase, God is all you need, until you reach a point in your life where God is all you have. You heard that? I'll say it again. You'll never know the real meaning of the phrase, God is all you need. We say that so easily, right? Until you reach a point in your life where God is all you have. Abraham and Sarah reached that point. God was all they had. They did not have fertility or the, the youthfulness to be able to have that child. God was all they had, and they discovered God is all we need. And uh, I think that's so important. <coughs> You've probably heard that it's difficult to save a drowning person while they're still trying to save themselves, while they're still thrashing around in the water. You go near them to, to lay hold of them and they could pull you under. It's dangerous. Sometimes you have to let them reach the end of their rope and then you can lay hold of them and bring them in and save their life. So there's this guy that I, I meet with He's not from our church. Somehow he was referred to me, and I met with him a few times and have continued to for almost a year. And uh, he, he struggles. We, we meet at Tim Hortons, and we talk a couple times a month. And he struggles with an area of sin and basically addiction in his life. And it's not pretty. <coughs> and uh, he, every week, you know, every time we meet, he, he tells me, you know, I've never seen a guy who's such a fighter. He, he wants to beat this. He wants to please God. He wants to follow Christ. He wants to be free of this. He, he's, he's, I mean, I've met lots of people who have given up the fight long ago, or they've just compromised, or they've just decided, I'm going to just live with this sin. It won't go away. Fine, I'll live with it. He doesn't want to live with it. He wants to beat it, but he can't. I mean, it's, I was with him recently, and I was listening to him talk. I said, how's it going, man? You know, and, and, uh, and he's telling me of his failures. He's very honest, very open very forthright about what, what, what it is. He says, I know it's not pretty. He thinks I haven't repented enough, you know, and, and he's trying hard to beat the sin. He's trying hard to repent. He's trying to overcome it. And, and just most recently, I'm sitting there going, <laughs> silently praying, Lord, I don't know what to tell this guy. And then a, a thought came to me, so I shared it with him. I said, for the last 45 minutes, we've been sitting here, and all we've talked about is your sin. All we've talked about is your desire to overcome your sin. I said, we haven't talked about Jesus at all. And I said, I think you need to learn to focus on Jesus rather than focusing on overcoming your sin. Because as long as I'm focused on this sin that I must overcome, I'm not focused on the source of my strength. I recommended a book to him. You know, it's like, well, well how, do, how do I do that? How do I focus on Jesus? I, sa I said, I, I, I'm learning myself, but we need to learn to, to love him, appreciate him, worship him, praise him, admire him, be taken with him in our hearts fully. He needs to be greater than my sin. He needs to be greater than whatever I'm struggling with. And I can't, and that won't be true until I Fix my eyes on Jesus, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, which we talked about a few months ago. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, I add, in total victory. 
and we need to fix our eyes on and our affections on and the love of my heart on my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop thinking so much about your sin. Not that it's not important, but you'll never beat it that way. I remember once when I was about 30, uh, in the 80s when my, my dad was still alive, <coughs> we were driving somewhere, and uh, to make conversation, I said, Dad, uh, where have you been reading in your Bible lately? What have you been thinking about lately? And uh, <coughs> he said to me, he paused for a minute, and then he said, I've been meditating on the face of Christ. I thought, that's weird. <coughs> I've been meditating on the face of Christ. I said, uh, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, there's this great verse in 2 Corinthians 4, and it speaks of the glory of God being found in the face of Christ. I don't know if I still understood it back then. I don't know if I understand it now. But the older I get, the more I realize how important it is to fix my eyes, my focus, my attention, my affections, my motives, everything needs to be focused on Christ. And in the face of Christ, you see his real self. I thank my dad in, in hindsight for, for that thought. I've never forgotten it. So <clears throat> suppose you're hanging on that rope and it's getting dark, and your grip slips and you go down a couple of feet into more darkness, and you're clinging and you're sweating and, and you're feeling weaker, and your grip slips a little bit more and you slip down the rope a bit more and it's getting, the darkness is enveloping you and you slip a little bit more and you're beginning to panic and you're thinking, I'm never gonna make it, and you slip just a little more and you feel the end of the rope. And you're thinking it's all over, and it's all dark, it's very still. And then you hear a voice. Hello there. I've been waiting for you. Let's pray. Lord, we're talking about profound things. We live in a foolish world. We live in a shallow world. We live in a world that doesn't care two hoots about the face of Christ, about the beauty of Christ, <clears throat> the power, the love, the incredible wisdom of Jesus. Capture us this morning and lead us forward in this journey, we pray. Amen. Sing, let's sing to Christ. i 
as you wait for the crowd, tell the world of the treasure you Please be seated. Well, I have uh, just three announcements to make as we close off our service this morning. The first one is that uh, the coffee hour is outside this morning, so please uh, enjoy some time of fellowship um, after our service. Uh, for if you're a newcomer this morning, there's a welcome package and connect cards in the blue hutch in the community room, which is just across the hall, so please feel free to take one of those. Grace members, if you see someone new here uh, this morning, please uh, introduce yourself, make them feel welcome. Um, secondly, we're looking for two volunteers to help with Grace Kids Elementary next Sunday, September the 4th. And please connect with our GK director, um, Annika Napier, if you're able to help uh, after the service or email her at annikagracecommunity.ca. If we're unable to find um, some volunteers, those classes won't run next week but we will offer the kids quiet bags to enjoy during the service now i didn't check but i'm pretty sure that the quiet bags are not to put the kids in they're actually bags to uh, have them enjoy some some entertainment while they're in the service here with us and next sunday september the 4th is our last sunday meeting at 9 30 a.m so the, on september the 11th we go back to two services nine o'clock and 11 a.m 11 a.m and that is our kickoff um, fall kickoff Sunday, and so in between the two services from 10 till 11, uh, there's going to be a chance to learn about teams and sign up for volunteer opportunities. There's going to be treats, and there's going to be um, fun for the kids, some face painting and other things to entertain them. So please um, remember that. We'll, we'll remind you again next Sunday. Uh, it's not often that you'll probably hear a benediction from the book of Proverbs, but I wanted to give you one this morning as we close. It's um, in, in Proverbs, wisdom is often seen to be the personification of Christ. And so let me read these words as the writer speaks um, about that uh, from Proverbs 8. It says, blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. May that be your experience uh, this coming week. Thank you for worshiping with us today.